0: This morning, we are looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 13 through 21. We're continuing our series of studies in 1 Peter. Looking this morning at uh, verses 13 through 21. That's page 1014 in the few Bibles. Hear the Word of God. Peter writes, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded... Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with precious the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. We give thanks to the Lord for his word. Let's pray together. Our Father, we do thank you for your word before us in our own language, and a word from you that is authoritative and that is transforming. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit and pray that he would take your word and make it clear to us and open our eyes to the, th- uh, to the things that you would have us learn today. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hope changes behavior. Lack of hope also changes behavior. Now, this is true in all kinds of areas of life. Uh, We could talk about all kinds of places where we see the difference that hope makes in how we behave. But just to single out one at random uh, football. Suppose you have two football teams who are playing, and one of the teams, we'll call them, I don't know, the Saints. finds himself behind, and they're starting to get discouraged, but suddenly uh, someone on the defense picks off a pass and runs it back for a touchdown. And they're excited. They have hope. They're encouraged. They're back in the game, and they play with a, with a new vigor and energy. Now, lack of hope can also lead to change in behavior. There's another team, we could call them the Colts, who, uh, who were ahead, but now they find themselves behind and time is winding down. And that lack of hope shows itself in any number of ways. Uh, it could be a lethargy, they're starting to give up, or it could be uh, uh, lashing out, they're, they're starting to get uh, unsportsmanlike conduct penalties, or it could be desperation as they start throwing Hail Marys down to the end zone, which fall harmlessly and finally picked off. Hope, lack of hope, changes behavior. Of course, the thing could go completely the other way, but the point is still the same. And we could talk about the difference hope makes, of course, in, in our families, in our occupations, in school. Uh, hope changes behavior. Now, children, when your parents ask you what the sermon was about today, do not say football. That's merely the. Now, I did. When the first church I went to when I went off to college, the sermon actually was on football. That was the first and last time I went there. Um, This is not about football. So when your parents says, don't say football, it's about hope changes behavior. Right, children? Is it about football? No. About hope changes behavior. Football was just the illustration and maybe a completely misguided one at that. But that's what Peter is talking about here. Uh, He's been describing the hope that is ours in Christ Jesus, as we often find in the epistles of the New Testament. Paul begins with what God has done and praises God for that, and then moves into what difference that makes and should make in our lives. That's why our passage begins with the word in verse 13, therefore. Because these things are true, because of what God has done for us in Christ, therefore, we should live this way. Therefore, these changes should occur. And so that's what Peter does here. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action. Literally, he wrote, girding up the loins of your mind, which is a rather strange illustration. The point of girding up the loins or it was, was, you know, if they had a robe on or some long garment, they would hitch it up with their belt so that the legs would be freed up to work or fight or run or whatever the whatever the need might be. Well, the idea is basically to get ready. We, we might say, roll up your shirt sleeves, you know, get ready to work, get ready to, 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 to be active. Uh, first, Peter says, because these are true, we need to get ready for what lies ahead. We need to be sober-minded. Now, the word could refer to drunkenness, uh, that it opposes. The opposite of drunkenness is to be sober. But Peter is speaking of, uh, of a, a sobriety that goes beyond just physical drunkenness then we're not spiritually drunk. We're not spiritually out of it, but we're focused. We're thinking clearly. It doesn't mean we're joyless. It just means that we're not being deceived by the lies of, uh, as John describes it, the world and the flesh and the devil, any area where temptation might come. We're thinking clearly. We're thinking biblically. So we've prepared ourselves for action. We are thinking in a sober Uh, serious way about what lies ahead. And with those things, Peter then says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, he's already talked about this. Remember back in verse three, he says, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope a hope that's based on something real, something substantive, something lasting, not just a wishful thinking kind of hope, but a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, he says to set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We experience it now, but we will experience to the full at the revelation of Christ, the return of Christ, the parousia, his return in glory. So getting ready, thinking clearly, we set our hope on that glory that is to come to us in Christ by the grace of God. That's that living hope, that life is not empty, that life is not meaningless, it's not futile. It's heading somewhere, and for the Christian, heading somewhere magnificent and glorious. Now, what Peter goes on to talk about here, he's already said that, that we have this hope, but what he goes on to talk about here is how does that hope change our behavior? In other words, how should we, as God's people, live differently because of this hope that we have in Christ. Well, he goes on then here to list for us four characteristics of such a person. And as we think about those four characteristics, I want you to, in thinking about them, examine your own heart, examine your own life, and ask yourself if these characteristics are true of you. Because as Christians, they they should be, and, and they can be, and uh, they, they will be inevitably, if we have hope, we will in fact live differently. But, uh, but we also can cultivate these things as well and help them to grow. So let's look at these characteristics then. The Christian, in the first place, the Christian who has set his hope on heaven, Peter tells us in verses 14 through 16, the Christian who has his hope set on heaven obeys God's word. He obeys God's word. Now notice, we're not saying because he obeys God's word, he has the hope of heaven. That's that's putting it backward. But rather, because he has this hope of glory by his faith in Christ, he then desires to and will obey God's word. Now, put negatively, uh, Peter uh, puts it this way in verse 14. Uh, negatively, in the sense of what we're not to do. Verse 14, as obedient children, and that's who we are, we are children of God, and we are to be obedient to him. As obedient children, with this hope, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. In other words, how we used to think about things before we became a Christian. Don't be conformed to those former ways, to the passions of your former ignorance. Uh, The idea of being conformed is that 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 old nature would, would press us and squeeze us into a certain shape, what we used to be. Now, Peter puts it negatively, not that we should not do that, for a very good reason. Because patterns of life sometimes die hard, even from our before Christ days to our now in Christ days. Patterns of sin can be difficult to overcome, not impossible, certainly. And by the grace of Christ, that's, that's what he does. He changes us. He transforms us. But not without a fight. We have to fight against these old patterns. And so Peter warns us, puts us negatively, don't be conformed to those passions, to those ways that you lived in, in your fallen nature. Now, does that mean a Christian will never sin? Of course not. We do sin. But the difference is that's not where we're comfortable. And when we fall, when we sin, we hate our sin, we repent of our sin, we grieve over our sin. And uh, we pray that Christ would enable us uh, to put that sin to death and, and that we would move forward. That's, that's the difference. But then he also puts it positively in verse 15. Don't be conformed to your sins, your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, so also you be holy in all your conduct. Verse 15, he puts it here positively that we should be holy. Why? Because God is holy. Because our Father is holy. And we, as his children, are to be like him. We are to reflect his character. Children inevitably will reflect their parents in some way. Some, some look like their parents. Others may talk like their parents and look like their parents. But children inevitably reflect, reflect their mother and their father and their appearance, their behavior, their mannerisms uh, because of their relationship because of uh, just living in close relationship for a long period of time. Well, the same thing is here. We are to be holy because our Father in heaven is holy. And so Peter puts this positively. Now, we need to talk about what holy means. We've talked about this before. This may be familiar to you. We think of holy typically in in the sense of how we act. You know, to act in a holy way means to obey God's word, to live in a way that's uh, not characterized by sin, but by obedience to the Word of God. But the the deeper meaning of that word holy is the idea of being set apart, of being distinct from, separate from. And we want to think of it here in both ways, but I I want to think first in that that deeper way of being set apart. You know, God's attribute is that he is holy. He is distinct from his creation in, in many ways, Uh, But he is a holy God. In fact, he defines holiness by his own character. But we are to be holy in the sense that we are to be distinct from the world, that the way we act, the way we talk, the things we do, the things we don't do, are different from the world. Unfortunately, too often Christians, or at least professing Christians, look too much like the world in the way that they live, in their priorities, in their behaviors. The passage Mike read in Leviticus on being holy, and he goes on to put this not only negatively and positively, but scripturally, he quotes that passage, the Old Testament, verse 16, since it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You know, that's exciting as text for this, this application. Uh, in in the Old Testament, God tells us people that. To, to He wants them to behave a certain way, but he also wants them to be different from, distinct from the nations around them, because only if they're different can they be salt, can they be light. Uh, Can they offer hope? Uh, Your Bible probably doesn't just fall open to Leviticus because of your your constant meditation in Leviticus. Uh, In fact, it may have resisted your trying to turn to Leviticus earlier. But Leviticus, and I admit, Leviticus can be tedious sometimes because it's detailed laws but Leviticus, like all the books of Scripture, are there for a reason and have something to teach us. And we are incomplete as believers without some knowledge of that book. It's worth noting that some five times, too, in the chapter that Mike read, that expression or some variation of it uh, comes out. Be holy because I am holy. And uh, one he didn't read that uh, you also find in Leviticus is Leviticus chapter 20, verse uh, 26 brings out this element very clearly, this element of separation. You shall be holy to me, this is Leviticus 20:26. 20, you shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. They're to be distinct, The people who belong to God. Now, that doesn't mean we're to be separatists in the sense we don't have anything to do with anybody who's not a Christian. You know, Paul says, you know, to be separate from, people, from non-Christian, you'd, you'd have to leave the world. You know That's not the point. The point is that, that we are to be different in the way we live. I like the way uh, Ed Clowney, who used to be the um, uh, teacher and professor at Westminster Seminary and president of the uh, seminary in Philadelphia, puts it this way. Talking about our holiness and how it makes us different. In spite of their humanness, he says, Christians are extraterrestrials at heart. Or better, they are neo-terrestrials, representatives of the new humanity in Jesus Christ. We are new, neo-terrestrials. We are new earth people because we're looking forward to a new heavens and a new earth. But we are citizens of that here and now. So try to work into a conversation this week and explain how you are a neo-terrestrial and see if that doesn't open up opportunities to talk about the gospel or Get punched or something. Uh, But the first characteristic of someone who has hope in Christ is that they obey God's word. This is truth. This is food for the soul. Uh, And we believe that to obey God's word brings life and it brings blessing and it brings joy. To disobey God's word brings misery, guilt, uh, conflicts of conscience, uh and and difficult and painful consequences you know the, the the lie is the lie of satan the lie of hell is that in sinning you find fun and happiness then in obeying you're just miserable and straitjacketed by god's word but the opposite is true as adam and eve found out life joy blessedness happiness comes through obedience pain comes through disobedience and sin so number 1 obey god's word then he goes on to describe another characteristic of someone who has this hope, and that is found in verse 17. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. A Christian with this hope fears God's judgment. Uh, that, that may be a little bit counterintuitive. You might think, well, if he has hope in Christ, he has no fear of God. Uh, He has nothing to worry about with the judgment. And yes, that's true in one sense. If you were in Christ, the day of judgment should hold no terror for you as it should for the unbeliever because your judgment has already taken place at the cross. Christ suffered that judgment of the Father for you. That's the grace of the gospel, God providing a substitute to die in your place as well as one who lived in perfect obedience for you. So, yes, for the Christian, Judgment Day, in terms of our eternal well-being, has, been, has come and gone. It's been settled. Yet, we are, as those who call on our Father, who is a, an impartial judge, uh, we should conduct ourselves with a certain sense of fear, as he says, throughout the time of your exile. Now, remember, Peter started by writing to the elect exiles. Well, this makes it clear that he primarily has in mind a spiritual exile that we are away from our true home here in this world. But we conduct ourselves with a certain fear toward God. Now, for the Christian, that's not a a craven terror. But it is a a healthy respect, uh, a great sense of awe uh, in our hearts toward our Father. And Christians do have a part to play in the judgment in one sense. And, And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, Christ is our foundation, he says, but how do we build on it? Well, he says, let each one take care how he builds. Uh, Christ is the foundation. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day, the day of judgment, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that Anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. So he's talking about Christians here, but only through fire. And then in another place, uh, Paul speaks in, uh, in 2 Corinthians 5. He's talking about Christians, uh, whether we are at home or away, at home with Christ, away here in our bodies here in this world. We make it our aim to please him. Listen to this. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That all he's writing, he's writing to Christians. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in, in the body, whether good or evil. Now, the question, the outcome of our salvation is not in question. Be clear on that. That's been settled in Christ if you were in Christ. But this evaluation of whether we built with gold and silver and precious stones or whether we built on that foundation of Christ with wood and hay and straw, that will be evaluated, and we will be commended for our faithfulness, or maybe not so much for our unfaithfulness in obedience and following Christ, though we will be saved like one escaping through fire. Uh, we, we do need to live in fear of God. Yes, it is important, and it, uh, it will affect your salvation, your eternity, uh, how you obey or disobey Christ. We should fear God. We should obey him. We should not let the fact that we are saved by the grace of God in Christ demotivate us so that we're careless and slack and not concerned to obey God as we live here in this world. Because he is our father, yes, but he's also our judge. He will evaluate our walk in Christ. Other parables, the parable of the talent, uh, for example, teach that same principle, that there will come a day of reckoning the difference is for the Christian, our eternal well-being is not uh, on the line, but how we lived and how we followed Christ will be. So that's the second thing. We obey God's word. We fear God's judgment or evaluation. The third thing, as he says here in verses 18 through 20, is that we remember God's sacrifice. We remember God's sacrifice. And there's something of a progression here. We, we read and study and try to obey God's word. Uh, and then as he goes on to say, we, we do fear God's judgment. Do we, we read the word mindful that we will be evaluated. But then, lest we become discouraged, we remember God's sacrifice in Christ. Look at verse 18. Verse 18 tells us uh, the cost of that sacrifice. Verse 18, knowing, that means just to remind ourselves, remembering, knowing, that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Let's talk about that, the the futile ways, empty ways that you inherited from your forefathers. I mentioned early on, that's one of the reasons I think this letter was written to to more than just Jews, but to Gentile believers as well. I I have a hard time thinking that, that Peter would refer to the forefathers of Jews as futile or empty. And that applies much more to Gentile believers who came out of paganism. Uh, I don't want to make too big a deal of that one way or the other. The point is, uh, this letter is coming to us today, uh, but it's just an interesting thought. Uh, you, they were ransomed from that. They were redeemed from that. With what? Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, which on the human level is what people want. You know, a ransom is money. Uh, pay them the money. And just recently this week, a child who was taken uh, for ransom. Because the uh, uh, the mother had come into money through an, uh, an insurance uh, policy uh, with the death of her father, and the child was held for money. Uh, the child was rescued, thankfully, and the uh, the, the abductors uh, arrested. But Peter says here, you you were you were ransomed, you were redeemed, not with things that perish, like silver, like gold, that. that Hail compared to what the price was, verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The Father ransomed us from those futile ways of sin, from, from bondage to Satan and sin, with nothing less than the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, which never perishes. The blood of Christ, like a lamb without spot or blemish. Remember, that's the language from the Old Testament for the offerings. The lambs, they would sacrifice. It couldn't be some, you know, three-legged, mange-infested, mange-covered, reject lamb. It had to be one that was as perfect as they could find in their flock. And that's Christ. There was no spot. There was no blemish. He was sinless. He was God's Son. And He was the one who bled. So that's the cost. And he talks about the background of it, second part of verse 19. Um, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, verse 20, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake. He was foreknown. The NIV reads chosen. Foreknown is an important word here. Remember, you go back to the first, uh, first or uh, second verse, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, we were chosen. His setting, his affection, his love on us in advance. And Christ was foreknown before the foundation of the world. That doesn't just mean that the Father was aware that he was there with him in eternity past. It means that he chose him, like the NIV says. He, he set his purpose upon him to be the Lamb of God, even before he created the world, which is an amazing thing. It tells you that what happened in the Garden of Eden was not a surprise to the Father, uh, but he was aware of it. Indeed, he had decreed it, uh, but he also decreed that Christ would be the Redeemer. But he was made manifest in these last times for your sake. Uh, God, the Father, had chosen the Son to be the Redeemer, but revealed him uh, when Christ came into the world. uh, And in fact, in shadow through the Old Testament, the sacrifices, but then Jesus comes into the world, the one who was ordained even before the world was created, to be the Savior of those who would believe in him. So that's the background. We've seen the cost, the blood of Christ, the Son of God. The background of it was that that was God's purpose, even before he made the world, that Jesus would be the redeemer of the people of God. Then he also describes um, something here of the, um, the, the origin of it as well, uh, in, the, in the purposes of God in verse 20, that uh, it was God's purpose to redeem us through the death of his Son. Revelation speaks of uh, the Lamb where this speaks of uh, the Lamb being selected before the creation of the world, Revelation speaks of the Lamb who was slain from before the foundation of the world. You know, you can speak of something in advance in the past tense as it, because it's as good as done. Remember when Paul says, those who he justified, he also sanctified those who he sanctified, he also glorified. Well, it hasn't happened yet. But because it's God's purpose, It will. Well, Jesus was the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world because that was God's purpose. That was the, uh, the origin of all of them, that God would redeem us through the blood of Christ. Three things. We obey God's word. We fear God's judgment. And we remember God's sacrifice. But there's one more that flows from it. That is, we, we trust in God's victory. We trust in God's victory. This is in verse 21. For your sake, who through him, through Jesus, are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. We trust in God's victory, and we trust in God's accomplishment in Christ. Christ's accomplishment. Notice verse 21. Through him are believers in God. Remember what Jesus said in John fourteen six. He said, no one can come to me. Actually there, he said, no one comes to me except through uh, the Son, um, there's no other way. You can't go to the Father except through the Son. And that's why Peter says here, through him are believers. Uh, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. There's, there are not many paths that lead to God. I am the way, Jesus says, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so that's why Peter says this: through him are believers in God. You can't have someone who, who rejects Jesus and yet sees himself as a believer in God. So through his accomplishment on the cross, you know, remember that how the, the veil in the temple tore; that the access is now there to the Father through Christ. He mentions his victory and his resurrection. Not, we uh, said, God raised him from the dead and gave him glory. You know, Christ's humiliation and going to the cross and dying, but then the Father raised him up and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. You know, Philippians 2, where Paul talks about he humbled himself, becoming obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross. But then the Father exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that's the name of Jesus, every knee. Will bow in heaven and on earth, and every every mouth confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so you have his accomplishment in opening up the way through his death and resurrection, through his death to God, uh, his his resurrection and his glory that come there, so that your faith and hope are in God. Because of God's victory in Christ, defeating death, redeeming us, our faith and our hope are in him. So there's this flow. Here, we're in God's Word, uh, studying, and we're aware of our Father. And while He is our Father, He's also the judge of all the earth. And so there's a fear there for Him, this respect on the part of the Christian, a concern to live a certain way before Him. Unless we become discouraged, He reminds us of what God has accomplished for us in Christ, the sacrifice that He paid, but also the victory that He won. And so our faith and our hope are in God. You see, we've kind of come full circle. Because of the hope we have, we read the word, we fear God, uh, we are aware of and remind ourselves of what God did to save us, and we are confident in his victory and trust in him. You see, hope changes behavior. What would be the opposite of someone who was not a Christian? What would that look like here? Well, they, they have no regard for God's word. They don't fear God, but uh, thumb their nose at him. Uh, they are are unaware and uncaring about what God has done in Christ, and they they don't have any faith in God. They don't have any hope in God. They don't have any hope at all, ultimately. Let it not be so with you, dear friend. Be sure that you have trusted in Christ, but also, as one who's professed faith in Christ, look at your life. Do you see these things? Do you live with a love for and a hunger for the knowledge of God's word? Do you fear God? Do you realize who he is and who you are? Do you fear him? But also, do you remind yourself, especially when you're struggling with sin or a guilty conscience, that Christ has paid for that sin? And do you remind yourself that God has won the victory in Christ Jesus so that your eternal well-being is secure? Hope changes behavior. Christian hope looks a lot like this. Let's pray. Our Father, we give thanks to you for the hope that we have in Christ. And Father, we know that being changed in him, being a different creature, creation in him, than what we once were inevitably will make a difference. Father, I pray that that I would and that we would uh, look for the fruit of your Holy Spirit and look for the evidence of this new life in these ways. We pray, Father, that they would be evident and an encouragement to us as we follow Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.